Welcome to the Doc Lounge Podcast, Crazy Cases Series. In this series, we will explore some of the most unusual and interesting cases medicine has ever seen. We will speak with providers of all specialties from all over the nation. We will hear firsthand accounts from symptoms to treatments to cures. So sit back, relax, and let's explore some crazy cases. Hello, everyone. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Crazy Cases series of our Doc Lounge podcast. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and my co-host today is Mr. Chris Call. Today on Crazy Cases, we have a good friend of our podcast, Dr. Russell Gross. Uh, Dr. Gross was on the Provider's Perspective episode last year. He also talked to us about rural recruitment, and today he's going to talk about some crazy cases. Uh, Dr. Gross is a board-certified general surgeon, and he's got many years' experience, and with that experience come some cases that he definitely won't forget. So today, Dr. Gross is talking to us about three separate cases um, that stood out to him in his career as a general surgeon. So after this quick disclaimer is our episode with Dr. Russell Gross. And just a quick reminder, every episode of Crazy Cases is HIPAA compliant. All names have been changed and all personal patient information will remain private. So that being said, let's get started. All right. Well, Dr. Gross, thank you so much for being with us today. Happy to be here. And uh, so with this case, the first case you're going to talk about, take us to the beginning. Um, how did the patient or patients present themselves to you and what were the symptoms? Okay. Well, uh, this is more of an interesting type of uh, caseload. Uh, during the time I was in Tennessee, I probably did uh, an average of one appendectomy a week. So in the nine years I was here, it was well over 400. In the first two years, eight of those appendectomies, and they were all for acute appendicitis, had cancer of the appendix. Now we're not talking little carcinoid tumors, we're talking cancer of the appendix. And uh, so in essence, the appendicitis uh, saved their lives because it showed up early. So I had these eight cases. Uh, two of them were sisters. All of them were fairly young. Uh, all of them had an appendectomy. One of them required uh, a right colectomy because of the size of the tumor. Uh, all of them were cured. All of them were seen by oncology in Memphis, and none of them required uh, chemotherapy. Hmm. So it was just an interesting findings because cancer of the appendix is not common, and here I ran into eight cases. I don't know if it was something in the Mississippi River uh, or genetics. Uh, the fact that two of them were sisters was pretty interesting. I did talk at some length with uh, our pathologist about writing this up because just I hadn't, it was kind of unusual to me, and he just wasn't really interested in doing yeah. that. So we just let it go, and that's just... Yeah. In what time frame were these? In uh, about a uh, less than two-year period, eight cases of wow. cancer of the appendix. And did the cancer have anything to do with the appendicitis? It caused the appendicitis. Okay. So in that sense, it was uh, diagnostic. Uh, yeah, sorry. 
I'll just put this here. Yeah. yeah. Um, crazy. And so eight cases, and that was in Mississippi? No, in Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee, that's right. Because that's, that's when you were working yeah. in rural Tennessee. We were by the Mississippi River, so that was our source of... Mm -hmm. And you were the only general surgeon in town, right? Uh, well, there was another one, but he didn't take any calls. Gotcha. So how abnormal was that to have that amount of cases with that that's type of... That's extremely unusual. I've never done the research to see with the actual incidents, uh, but I've done uh, at least 1,500 appendectomies in the course of my career, and those are the only eight that had cancer. I've seen carcinoid of the appendix, and I've seen uh, metastatic melanoma in the appendix that I was operating on for other reasons, but I'd never encountered any cases of cancer of the appendix. No, when you were in your surgical training, did you ever encounter those types of cases? I don't remember ever seeing that before, actually. So it must have been something, like you said, in the water something type thing. Something in the water. Yeah. Well, and I think it's strange that two sisters. And two sisters, yes. Not twins, but sisters. Yeah, yeah. very strange. And presented within a year of each other. Wow. Yeah. Huh. There's got to be something behind that. If it's all yeah, in one area. Yeah, I really wanted to uh, pursue it, but uh, without the help of the pathologist researching it and yeah. getting tissue samples and stuff, it was yeah. kind of going. Wow. Interesting. Well, if any of you physicians are listening and you've had something similar, let us know. Um, all right. Well, bring us to your second case okay. that you're going to talk about. And then same thing. Where, how did the patient present themselves okay. to you? Uh, a young woman shows up in the emergency room with acute appendicitis, and uh, she's a tall, uh, big uh, girl, and uh, so I'm uh, doing the uh, history and physical, and she's uh, telling me that her son has had two operations for uh, uh, macroglossia, which is an enlarged tongue. And he's had two operations. A little, uh, very young child has had two operations. Tongue is just too big, and uh, they thought that she might have passed on Beckworth-Wiedemann syndrome, hmm. which is an abnormality of chromosome 11. So I said, okay, well, you got appendicitis, and didn't happen. So we did a laparoscopic appendectomy, and sure enough, her appendix was about the size of a hot dog. Usually an inflamed appendix may be the size of my ring finger. That's a big inflamed yeah. appendix. Hers was really big. But it uh, removed very easily. I got it detached from the, the cecum and took the blood supply and everything was fine. And in removing appendixes from during laparoscopic surgery, you put them in a plastic bag and pull the bag out through the uh, one of the port sites, usually mm -hmm. the 12-millimeter port site. Uh, well, it wouldn't come out. Because it was a hot dog. Because it was a hot dog. <laughs> so I'm kind of stretching it with the clamp and doing it. Anyway, the bag breaks and the appendix falls into the abdomen and I have to retrieve it with a, in, uh, a clamp and I grab it. And it's a separative appendix. It's really inflamed. But I orient it correctly so it's longitudinal and it now comes out pretty easily. And she did well, except she did develop an abscess. Uh, so I had to take her back to surgery after a, a, maybe about 10 days or two weeks. Uh, she came back in. Uh, she was discharged from the hospital after one or two days, but she came back with an abscess, which was 
Very easy. I just opened up that port site and it drained it very simply. I put a drain in and she recovered completely and did very well. So she clearly had this syndrome as well, the Beckworth-Wiedemann syndrome. And uh, uh, she did fine, And uh, but uh, that's uh, pretty unusual. I had never seen that kind of abnormality before and had to look it up to find out what it all meant. Like in a population of 100,000, how many people might have that? One. So she was the one. She was the one. Wow. Yeah. What's the correlation with the tongue? That's one of the classic signs of this uh, syndrome is that the tongue is enlarged. The kid couldn't breathe at night. He would sleep back and the tongue would fall back and yeah. block his, uh, his uh, uh, trachea. And so, uh, so that was passed on genetically that was from passed either on the mom from or her the dad. Him. Wow. Well, from her because she had some signs of it too. Uh, many uh, or all of your organs internally are enlarged. So she, if I had really looked around, she probably had a big uh, enlarged colon and stuff. But since I was focused on the appendix, that's really... Now, after you removed that appendix, did all the other organs shrink back to normal size? Or no, they, no, they, they stay, stay the same. That yeah, that's, that's uh, the syndrome is that you have these large organs. Mm-hmm. Can it become fatal because they're... Well, in the in the son's case, it, it potentially could have if they if he hadn't had surgery and one night he sleeps and doesn't wake himself up from from choking. Yeah. 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 So when you removed the son's appendix too? No, I did not remove the son's appendix. The son was just the key that she had the syndrome as well. She yeah. but she uh, didn't have the macroglossia. She just had other organs appendix specifically which was enlarged now was that a case that you had previously seen like through never training seen, or read it somewhere or never saw it never heard of it before and you had to just hit the books or I had to hit the books yeah wow that's what it was all about how does that happen so do you look up how do these books work? Do you look up symptoms first, and then it gives you different... Well, nowadays you can just look, uh, type in macroglossia, and it'll come up with that. But yeah. this is a little bit pre-app, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually had to go to the library to look at yeah. it and find out what was wow. going on. And was this in Tennessee? Tennessee. In All these cases are Tennessee. I didn't yeah. drag any of the other stuff over with me. And when you said the, the medical library at the hospital, or just yeah, the, the regular... hospital? Yeah, yeah, they had enough uh, research you could find out. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Any more? Oh, sure. All right. Okay. Let's keep going. We can go all day. Let's see. <laughs> and, and for you listeners, who just a little backstory is all these stories are coming from rural Tennessee, where how many years were you there? Nine and a half years. So Dr. Gross was working in rural Tennessee for nine and a half years, and he was one of the only general surgeons. So he saw cases from all over. All over the region. Yeah, um, and just you know, all different, like he wasn't specializing in just one part of surgery, just, you know, all different kinds. Okay, Uh, the next case is something I know that I've seen before. Uh, This is a more common case, but the solution was a little different. Uh, So I'm in the operating room one morning and I get a call from the ER. Uh, The uh, town uh, undertaker is in in septic shock. I said, okay, uh, start some IVs, run a bunch of fluid as soon as I finish this case. So you were 
You had a patient open. Yeah, I had a patient okay. open. So I had to finish the case, finish the case. And besides, this guy needed to be stabilized a little bit. He was hypotensive and mm-hmm. uh, he was sick as a dog. Anyway, uh, the interesting part about the presentation is that he had been, he was being seen in Memphis for pneumatoria, which is air in your urine, which mm-hmm. almost always signifies a fistula between the intestine and the bladder. To where else are you going to get air? And uh, he was being worked up, and they, anyway, they hadn't made a diagnosis. Uh, but other than that, he was uh, peeing uh, air and, as well as uh, urine. Uh, so that was the presentation, but he's in shock. Of, uh, and a flat x ray of his abdomen showed free air, which means that he's perforated something. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly an abdominal. Uh, catastrophe and uh, I needed to get him in surgery. He couldn't ship him down to his doctors in Memphis. He was way too sick for that. So we stabilized him uh, in the ER and brought him to the operating room and I did a laparotomy and uh, as soon as I entered the peritoneum there was a whoosh of fresh air that uh, came out and uh, his belly was literally full of stool. Everywhere. Really? He had exploded his cecum, which is the first part of the large intestine and the thinnest part of the intestines of the large intestine. And it was just uh, wide open and uh, just had exploded that. And he had spilled liquid stool all over his abdomen. So that was already there when that was prior already to you there opening up in the mouth. Wow. So uh, I've now got to do salvage surgery because I just want to get him off the table alive. And we'll worry about figuring out what's next. His pelvis was all socked in, so I wasn't about to deal with the fistula or anything. Uh, so I did a very limited right colectomy, brought up the hepatic flexure, which is the, now the proximal part of the uh, colon as a mucus fistula so that it wouldn't cause obstruction anymore, uh, and uh, brought up the... Uh, uh, the uh, terminal ileum as a, uh, an ileostomy so he could continue to pass his excrement through mm-hmm. that back. And that would, uh, and then he had that socked in pelvis, which was obviously also the cause of the obstruction, but he had backed it up all the way to the cecum. I had to remove that part of the colon. But he's still got a belly full of stool, and I got to get him rinsed out because. Yeah. Uh, Infection. Uh, infection and abscess and sepsis will continue. So I'm thinking just pouring water in is not going to do it. What am I going to do to clean this uh, belly? And uh, I'm thinking who really wants to have clean operative fields? Orthopedics, right? Because they have to have absolutely sterile fields to do total joints. So I uh, ask for the ortho irrigator which is like a, uh, it's almost like a gun, and it has both irrigation and suction, so you're not going to spill everything all over your feet. Orthopedics is very clean. They don't like to get too many. <laughs> so, Where you guys are dirty. Yeah. yeah. So they uh, brought me the ortho irrigator and hung up a big bag of fluid, put some betadine in it, and I started rinsing him out. And I rinsed out the, the, oh, the right upper, I did it by quadrants, right upper quadrant, uh, mid-abdomen, lower quadrant, pelvis, and back and around and around. And I went through, I don't know how many liters of fluid, 10, 15, 20, 
but didn't make a big mess because it kept sucking it up as I was irrigating mm -hmm. it out. And uh, so I felt that I had uh, cleaned them out pretty good and uh, closed them up. And uh, we got him off the table, and he was stabilizing, and uh, put him in ICU, and he did very well. And uh, the interesting thing after that, after he initially recovered, we did send him down to Memphis uh, so that he could continue uh, definitive treatment. They found that he had bladder cancer which is kind of unusual for that to fistulize into the colon. Usually it's you know, diverticulitis or colon cancer will erode into the blood. Mm -hmm. Those are the most common things. But he had bladder cancer, had a, a total cystectomy, and, and uh, eventually they put it, the two ends of his intestines back together as well, at the, I guess at the definitive surgery. And he wound up doing fine. So huh. what would have happened if he didn't present at the time that he did? Because oh, it he sounded like he was dead. pretty bad. Another hour and he would have been dead. Oh, wow. Another hour? Yeah. And he brought himself in or a family member? Or? The family brought him in. Well, they called the ambulance. I don't know for sure uh, because I was in the operating room when he arrived in the yard. So I'm assuming he was brought in by ambulance. They just didn't feel they could get him all the way to Memphis, So that, which was another 45-minute drive. So obviously the EMTs must have thought that he was that uh, close. in dire straits. Yeah. And so one of his first symptoms, he's saying he had air in his urine, urine. Yeah. so it's just bubbles when you pee, how yes. would you know, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It kind of fizzes as it comes out. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, that's crazy. Scary. <laughs> that's, that's the crazy case. That's yeah. crazy case. Scary. That they let him, uh, yeah, that he presented with that in Memphis, so previously, and they were doing a routine workup because he had, didn't have any really sick signs other than mm -hmm. this pneumaturia. So it sounds like in surgery, you don't have too many of those things where you have to really clean them out, like you said, the orthopedist It's uncommon. Did. Usually most infections are local. The, the, the abdomen is able to wall itself off very nicely. So oftentimes, even if you have a perforation, unless it's real sudden, like a duodenal ulcer or something, which freely spills into the abdomen, these things will isolate themselves. So they'll be more localized. And once, uh, if you encounter them, you can just pop a finger or a clamp into it and it'll drain and you mm -hmm. can just put a drain in and they'll heal up. Uh, but his was real generalized fecal peritonitis. It was really bad. So the facility you were in was a, a smaller hospital? Yes, it was a community hospital. So if this patient presented at a, a bigger center, would they have treated the patient differently, you think? No. That was salvage surgery all the way. What was his main, what made him come in, in the abdominal pain? Was he like? Uh, I guess uh, it must have been the pain, yeah. 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 Crazy. All right. Well, let's keep going. Okay. Let's see. I did that, 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 and that. Uh, I have one last case. It's really fairly routine, but it's really a happy memory for me. So I, I would like to talk about it. Uh, either the first or second year I was there, my kids are still very young. Uh, maybe they're uh, eight and five or nine and six. They're very young. And, it's, and uh, what we would do is uh, we'd be there till May when school went out, and then everybody would come to California because all the family is here. And then I would come at the end of the summer, and we'd all go back uh, for the start of school in August. 
So I would take vacation in, uh, in July or whatever. Anyway, this uh, year I brought the kids back myself and my wife stayed to hang with the family another week or so, which was, we did that all the time so she could have a respite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, it's only the first, second year we live out in the country. I mean, we're rural and we're living out in the country, so I'm still not entirely comfortable with the whole thing. Uh, and the kids are quite young. And uh, so it's a Saturday night and I get the two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning call uh, and they have a young uh, fellow in with a torsion of the testicle. Hmm. Now this is a real surgical emergency because you only have a few hours before you lose the testicle. Okay, so you have to restore the blood supply. And most places I've been, usually urology would do it, but our urologist didn't take call, so they called me and I said, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. And I uh, said, call the crew and I'm on my way. So I, I'm up easy and my kids are sleeping and I don't want to leave them in a house out in the country to young girls. Right. So mm -hmm. I say, okay. So I wrapped them in their blankets, the thin blankets, it's August, it's mm -hmm. hot, put them in the Odyssey and drive to the hospital where I put them on the couch. They both fit on the couch. Were they the, sleeping the whole time? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, put them on the couch in their blankets and it's in the doctor's lounge so it's a locked room and I go and I operate on the young fellow and he's I don't know teenage boy and I got him into surgery in less than an hour so that's really pretty good uh, and uh, we uh, untorse his testicle wrap it in some warm wet uh, uh, towels and watch it pink up and did a pexy to the scrotum so it won't twist again and uh, put him to bed and uh, he did great but that's a couple of days later so it's now six o'clock in the morning and uh, seven maybe I don't remember exactly when the girls are starting to wake up and I said okay that's good and it's Sunday morning and uh, wake them up and they're still in their jammies but uh, we go just down the street to the local cafe, have a nice pan, uh, pancake breakfast, mm -hmm. and spend the rest of Sunday hanging together. So to me, it was not a crazy case, but uh, it's a memory that I, I I don't remember a lot of details of a lot of the surgery that I've done, but I'll never forget that day, that night, and that morning. That's a real good memory for yeah. me. Yeah, being able to bring them along, Yeah, you know. Now, did anybody show up in the, the doctor's lounge and see two kids sleeping <laughs> <laughs> at, at that time, nobody else is, that, nobody's up that doesn't have to be up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you lock the surgical room so that if they yeah. got up, they couldn't come in? Well, they could get out, if yeah. they, but nobody could go in if they didn't have the code. It was a code. Oh, okay. A key code. Gotcha. Um, back to that patient, what caused that torque? That's actually not uncommon. Uh, that's a fairly routine thing. I'd seen several of those in my practice uh, in California, so it was not an, an unusual case. But what happens is is that the uh, testa, testes is uh, floating freely, basically, in the scrotal sac, and it can twist. And if it twists, it cuts off the blood supply. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you need to get in. You have a few-hour window before it's irre irrevocably uh, damaged. So More. Uh, what's the most common reason for that? Uh, 
just uh, the movement, just like just movement. sports. Yeah, or? actually, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Huh? Sounds painful. It's very painful. It it'll bring you in right away. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's the only way to take care of it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and joining yeah, us. Yeah, it's kind of fun um, to do. Do you guys have any questions? I know we just have a couple people on here. Um, but thank you so much for Happy to share. all your, all your uh, stories. And uh, um, Dr. Gross also has on our podcast right now his story of rural recruitment. Um, so you can go and listen to that. Um, so anyways. I hope I've been of... Uh, some enjoyment yeah. to anybody who's watching. It's yeah. fun to share. Of course. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, for joining us. Anytime. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you later. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast could not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.